reading is from um, Deuteronomy 10, um, from verse 12 to 11, verse 7. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants above all nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no, no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends this cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among, among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oath in his name. He is your praise, he is your God, who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. Remember today that your children were not the ones who saw and experienced the discipline of the Lord your God, your God, his majesty, his mighty hand, his outstretched arm, the signs he performed, and the things he did in the heart of Egypt, both to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his whole country. What he did to the Egyptian army, to its horses and chariots, how he overwhelmed them with the waters of the Red Sea, as they were pursuing you, and how the Lord brought lasting ruin on them. It was not your children who saw what he did for you in the wilderness until you arrived at this place, and what he did to Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, the Reubenite, when the earth opened its mouth right in the middle of all Israel and swallowed them up with your households, their tents, and every living thing that belonged to them. But it was your own eyes that saw all the great things the Lord has done. Gig, thank you so much for reading that. That's great. I'm sorry to, uh, we, sorry we uh, uh, dropped that first reading uh, on you earlier on. But uh, thank you very much, Steve, for reading that. It's fantastic. My name's Jeremy. It's genuinely a great privilege to be able to welcome you here to Trinity this afternoon. I've already met some new people. Welcome to you. Please do make yourself completely at home. It's great to see you. And just to re-emphasize what Churn said a little bit earlier on, there's a QR code on the, uh, on the service sheet. If you want to ask a question or if you want to give a thumbs up or a vote for one of the questions that's already been asked, maybe that was saying that you were wondering too, then point your camera at that QR code. It'll take you to an app called Slido. And then you can see the questions that are there. If I see you looking at your phone in the next 20 minutes, I'll assume that's what you're doing as, uh, as I preach from Deuteronomy chapters 10 and 11. For the time being, though, we're on page 139, the passage which Gake just, uh, 189, sorry, the passage which Gake just read to us, page 189. And just as we start, we're going to pray. Let's pray. 
Father God, we've already sung that you direct us into your truth by your spirit through your word and that you meet our needs by your grace as we trust you. And, and we want to pray very simply as we begin that you will be doing exactly those things in our hearts and our minds. Please be active in us and give us the trust that we need to respond to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, well, some, some people have uh, a life-changing love in their lives. I don't know if that's you. A, a, a sort of um, a passion that shapes the things that they do. Um, I speak of someone who loves coffee. And, um, and I'll think about whether the grind size makes a difference to, uh, to the coffee that I'm making, whether it's worth wetting the filter in my Aeropress, whether I should use spring water rather than regular tap water as I pour my V60. Um, I'll call in at ground control at the end of the road to try their Coromo Sodamo that, by the way, won the Cup of Excellence at the International Coffee Awards. And, and I'll navigate by coffee shops. I don't know how you navigate around London. All of us have a sort of particular thing. I think, John, you navigate by guitar shops. Is that right? Yeah, I'll navigate by coffee shops. I was going down to, um, going down to Elephant and Castle just the other day, and I thought to myself, and I was cycling, and I thought, right, I'll go to Caravan, and I'll turn left, uh, and I'll just drop down past Prufrock on Leather Lane, and then I'll sort of scoot past Monmouth, and, and then I'll be there in no time. That's how I get around London. Um, sort of hopping from coffee shop to coffee shop. I don't know how, how you do it. But do you have a life-changing love? You know, do you have a, a passion that changes your priorities? I and mean, perhaps you don't. Uh, perhaps you just feel that you're bumping along from, from one thing to the next. And, and you'd like to have that sort of love that's, that's going to give you a sense of direction. Maybe that's what you're looking for. Well, how about exploring this one? Because the book of Deuteronomy is about a controlling passion. That's what's at the heart of it. Uh, and we started to learn about that last week, if you were here, in chapter 6, verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5, a really famous bit of Deuteronomy that's quoted again and again, uh, not least on the lips of Jesus. Chapter 6, verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the life-changing love at the heart of Deuteronomy. And, and, and in Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, then, then God has begun this exceptional project to gather together a people who are going to be his very own, who are going to show the world what he's like. That's his plan. And, and it's had a full start back at Mount Sinai, back in Exodus, uh, with the golden calf and the wandering in the desert where people lost trust in God. And now, and now there's this new generation, the next generation, and it's standing on the edge of the Jordan as God's people are about to go into the land that God's promised them. It, it's like, a, like the starting line of, of, an, of a new phase in history, and they're ready to go. But before they set off, God is saying in the book of Deuteronomy, first of all, I've, I've, I've rescued you. Don't forget that. That was in chapters 1 to 3. And, and then he says, now take on this love. That was in chapter 6. And then chapters 
10 and 11 we're going to see tonight. Let that love control the whole of your life. Let that become the, 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 the key factor in, in your decisions, in your priorities. Let it, let it affect the whole person that you are. And, and that's an important thing to hear on a, a sort of sleepy Sunday afternoon at the end of half term. Because it's easy to think, uh, I, I imagine, I, I, I'm sure that I've thought like this at times, it's easy to think that Christianity is all about a rescue and that it's nothing to do with the rules. That it's all about relationships and nothing about God's commands. It's easy to think like that. And it is true that Christianity is a rescue religion. That is absolutely right. That's a true thing. If you're not prepared to be rescued by Jesus, then you can't come to him. But at the same time, Jesus says some very surprising things in John's gospel. Listen to this. This is what he says on the lips of Jesus. If you love me, keep my commands. Or a little bit later on in the same chapter, John verse 14, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, you see. That's what Jesus says. And, and what Jesus is showing us is that we can't take him to be saviour without letting him lead us as Lord. That there's no such thing as a Sunday-only Christian, you know. Our, our love for God was always meant to be a sort of 100% of the time, whole of life sort of thing. And we're going to see that in Deuteronomy chapters 10 and 11, as Moses teaches God's people that very thing. Okay, so we've got three points this afternoon, and the first one's this. A whole-of-life response to God's character. Okay, that comes in chapter 10, verses 12 to 22, that first part that gave credit out to us. A whole-of-life response to God's character. So have a look down at chapter 10, if you've got that there. Page 189, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, under that heading, Fear the Lord. And this is the kind of lesson in love, okay? Lesson in love. One writer calls this a, a, a discourse on loving God. Okay, this is what it means to love God in, in sort of granular detail. And I'm going to read from chapter 10, verse 12. Have you ever wondered what the Lord wants of his people this is where he explains okay chapter 10 verse 12 and now israel what does the lord your god ask of you but to fear the lord your god to walk in obedience to him to love him to serve the lord your god with all your heart that's the center of your decision making where you sort of make those policy decisions where you we decide what you're going to do okay to to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's everything that makes you you, okay? All of your individuality. And verse 13, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Okay, that's what the Lord requires of his people. Right at the heart of verse 12 then, love him, love him. That was the challenge last week, if you were here. Um, has it changed you over the last seven days? I wonder if you've had a chance to think about that. Not, not just ticking the boxes, not just saying that you believe in God, not just coming along to church, uh, not just being in church leadership, but, but really loving him. It's worth asking that. Do, do I love him? Do I love this God of the Bible? 
Because any, any lack of love on our part is, is not just sort of coldness of heart, yeah? It's, it's, not, it's not just a lack of love, it's idolatry. It's to worship something else, you see. Not to love the Lord means that there are other things pulling our devotion, pulling our affection, coming from having a heart that, you know, is, is pulled in too many directions. That's why many of us struggle, you know. That's why many of us struggle as Christians because we've got a heart that's pulled in too many directions. Love him, verse 12. And, and what will that look like? Well, it, it, it'll look like walking in obedience to him. That's what it says. Uh, literally walking in his ways walking in his ways that, that's the picture in so many Old Testament, so many New Testament letters we, we heard a reading earlier on from Colossians chapter 1 and literally in chapter 1 verse 10 it says this so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the picture in so many New Testament letters to walk in God's ways. It's sort of continuous. It, it, it's a sort of pathway. One Christian writer called Eugene Peterson wrote a book with this title, and I, and I like it, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what he called his book. A Long, direction, a long Obedience in the Same Direction walking in all God's ways. Um, I saw a documentary this week about an ancient civilization in the Azores. Is that the name, is that how you say it, in the, in the islands in the middle of, middle of the sea? There was an ancient civilization, I don't know who, who they were, um, but they, they carved cart tracks, they think they were, in the volcanic rock. It must have been an extraordinary feat of engineering. They're exactly one meter 20 apart, two parallel grooves that go right across the mountains. They're called um, El Geras, I think, that's, I think that's what they call them. Cart tracks carved into the mountains. And, and, and it's thought that, that as this ancient civilization transported their goods across the mountains so they could put the wheels of the cart in these two grooves that have been cut all the way across the, across the island, and that's how they transported things. But it, it's like we're walking in God's tracks. You know, it says in another part of the Bible, he's prepared good works in advance for us to do. We're walking God's ways, a long obedience in the same direction. And I don't know, maybe you've got parents or, or grandparents who've, who've done that, who've been Christians for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And put up your hand if you've got a parent or a godparent who's been a Christian for a long time. Yeah, it's amazing. Look around. It's so incredible. We should honor people like that. This is um, uh, I, a picture of my granddad. We keep that up in our... Um, in our front room, picture my granddad. He was a Christian for 60 years until he died. Dawn, Dawn knew him as well. I was very fond of him. She said she was marrying me in the hope that one day I'd turn out like he did. <laughs> Yet to happen, but uh, she's still praying. A long obedience in the same direction. Yeah, following God for the rest of our lives. That's what we're being called to. 
and then trusting in God's care, trusting in his care. You see, these commands are for our good. Did you see that at the end of verse 13? Have a look at that, verse 13. And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good, you see. And what reassures us of that? Well, the rest of the chapter fills us in on God's character. And first it says that, that the sovereign God had chosen his people and loved them. You see that in verses 14 to 15? Chapter 10, verse 15, it said, the Lord set his affection on your ancestors. He's already made the point that it's not, it's not because they're particularly lovable, but God decided to, to choose them and to love them and, and look after them, and, and, and he has. And then he's the kind of God who even cares for the outsider, um, verses 16 to 19. Uh, he even cares for the outsider. You see, verse 18, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, those people who are least in society, the sort of underclass, God cares for people like that. He's that sort of God. And he's the sort of God who keeps his promises over a considerable amount of time. So you might notice at the end of verse 22, Moses points out that the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. That was a promise that God made to Abraham some considerable time beforehand. And now God has fulfilled that promise. He's, he's very reliable, he, even over a considerable amount of time, many, many years. Do you not think that a God like that will give you commands and decrees for your own good? Do you not get that sense? You know, I think there's a lie that we, we need to face up to, um, which is that God's intention is to restrict our freedom in, in, a, in a way that somehow denies our enjoyment, yeah? I think, I, I find that somewhere at the, at the back of my mind that God's trying to sort of restrict me from doing things that I would enjoy. And, and we sort of imagine that there are people who aren't Christians who, who are just free to do absolutely anything that they want. And... The difficult thing for the Christian is that we have to choose this subsection of activities which are sort of appropriate for the Christian life, but a little bit disappointing. I mean, I, I think the truth of it is that, that all of us choose a, a set of freedoms in our lives which exclude others. I think that's right. I think, I mean, if, if we want to be free to drink too much, then we give up the freedom to be healthy. You see, and, and, and if we want to hold on to our money, then we give up the freedom to be generous. We, we choose a set of freedoms. Everybody does this in their lives. We choose a set of freedoms that might be for short-term benefit or, to, or for long-term benefit, but the freedoms that we choose exclude other freedoms. And I think that's true for every single one of us. And so freedom, then, is, is not the absence of limitations and, and constraints. It's it's finding the right ones. It's finding the set of freedoms within which we will flourish. And what God is offering us is, is a love for him and a walking in his ways for our own good. This is the set of freedoms in which we were made to flourish. This compassionate God is showing us that, you see. Well, how do we learn to walk in those ways? Two more points more briefly and the first one's this uh, a whole of life submission 
to God's word. And that comes in chapter 11, verses 1 to 7. So have a look down at the bottom of page 189, the beginning of chapter 11. Have a look at that. And let me read it out. This is how it begins. Love the Lord your God and keep his requirements, his decrees, his laws, and his commands always. That's chapter, chapter 11, verse 1. I mean, notice first of all that, that God is a God who, who speaks. That The God of the Bible, if I can say this reverently, is, is a talkative God. He's talkative. And that in itself is a remarkable thing. There was said to be in antiquity uh, a rabbi who claimed that he was so astonished that God should be a speaking God that he couldn't get any further in the Bible than Genesis 1 verse 3. That's what he said. So he got as far as, and God said, and he found that so astonishing he couldn't get past chapter 1 verse 3 of Genesis. I mean, if we reacted like that, then our sermon series and our Bible studies would get very restrictive, I think. We might feel that we were covering the same material fairly often. Let's not do that. But it is an astonishing thing, isn't it, that God should speak. He's a talkative God. He's given us requirements and decrees and laws and commands. In fact, more than that, God's commands are not detachable from who he is. And, and verses 1 to 7 of chapter 11, if, if you heard them read just now, they're, they're another one, a sort of technicolor picture of God's, God's incredible character, the God of the Bible. And this is your God, Trinity Church, Islington. This is what he's like. Okay, he's a great rescuer, yeah? In verses 3 and 4, great rescuer. In the same way that, that Pharaoh was utterly defeated in the Battle of the Red Sea, Moses makes that point. So Jesus emerges completely victorious over death. On, on the cross, Jesus brought lasting ruin, in the words of Jesus from 11, lasting ruin to the grave. That's what Jesus did. He beat death. And the God of the Bible is a daily provider, verse 5. Manna and quail every day for God's people in, in the wilderness. And they were never forgotten. They were never under-provided for. And every day, the, the God of the Bible provides for us mercy and grace and strength for the day ahead. And, and then he's an awesome judge, it says in verses 6 and 7. Dathan and Abiram. You may not have heard of them. They're not up the list in terms of popular names for our babies. Um, but they rejected what God was doing. They wanted nothing to do with the God of the Bible, and so God was well within his rights to fully and finally reject them, and he does. He does. God is an awesome Judge, he reserves the right, if we hold him at arm's length, to reject us. This is our God. And in the same way that we're not at liberty to reject those aspects of his character, so God's commands are not detachable from who he is. You see, they come from his very nature. That means we can't pick and choose the commands that we want to obey. Yeah? That's the God that exists. And the God who's, who's spoken. And more than, more than that, God's commands give shape to the way that we live our lives in, in a way that we need. Um, I used to be a cross-country runner when I was at, at school. It was the sport that required the lowest level of coordination, so it was clearly the right sport for me. 
And, um, and I still remember the, um, the three-mile course, 5K course up at school. Um, it was a school on the, on the South Downs. And you, so you went up to the top of the school, and uh, the first thing you had to do was run through a stream. You couldn't jump it. Um, you, you had to go through it. That was the, the first thing you had to do. And then, and then you had to run across a plowed field. So at that stage, you had like 10, kilo, like 10 kilograms of mud on each, on each foot. I think that was entirely deliberate. And, um, uh, and then you'd have to go down a one in four hill um, after that. Um, and, then, and then finally, uh, after you got two-thirds of the way around the course, you, you, you reached the farm track, Coombs Farm, which was just sort of around the corner from the school. And then, and then you knew that things were going to get better from that point onwards. You reached this sort of concrete surface of of Coombs Farm, and then you knew that there was some hope that you might survive the rest of the journey. And a writer called um, C.S. Lewis wonders in one of his books how the, how the writers of the Bible could get so excited about God's laws. And he realized that it was like reaching that road after running through mud. This is what he writes. It's on the screen, I hope. Talking of the Bible writers, he says this. Their delight in the law is a delight in having touched firmness. Like the pedestrian's delight, or you could say the runner's delight, in feeling the hard road beneath his feet after a false shortcut has long entangled him in muddy fields. You see? This is firmness, stability. The law is good because firmness is good. We know what God requires of us. Well, we'll spend some time in a couple of weeks' time thinking about how as Christians we relate to God's laws in, in Deuteronomy. We'll be thinking about that in chapters 12 to 26. It's an interesting question. But the, but the principle is there, you see. If, if we're to love God, the God who is really there, rather than just a projection of our own ideas about him, then we'll want to submit the whole of our life to to his commands. Now, that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. No wonder the Bible calls it a struggle. Let's not pretend it's not difficult, because it is. You know, when you think about the things that you say every day and then you read a, a command like this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. This is from the book of Ephesians. But only what is helpful for building others up. That's difficult, isn't it? Say so things like that. Uh, when, you're, when you're struggling for money and you're filling out your tax return and you read Romans 13, it tells you how you're to submit to the government, how you're to keep the law. And then it says, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. That's, it's a straightforward command, isn't it? But it's difficult to do. But it is the way to blessing. And that's the third point from chapter 11, verses 26 to 30. This is the point. A whole of life embrace of God's blessing. Now, that wasn't part of the original reading, but you can see those verses down at the end of chapter 11, the bottom of page 190. Let me read out from verse 26. This is Moses talking to God's people. Their toes are dipped into the lapping waves of the Jordan River 
And this is what he tells them. See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today. The curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I commanded you today by following other gods which you have not known. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you're entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. You know, it's new generation of God's people standing on the starting line. And God says, um, your first job is to go on a geography field trip. And if you went on geography field trips, two mountains, Ebal and Gerizim, just inside this new country that they're going to. And half the class goes up on one mountain, and then half the class goes up on the other. And one proclaims all the blessings for obedience, and one proclaims all the curses for disobedience. And we're going to see how that goes for them. Okay. It'll come back towards the end of Deuteronomy. We might recognize if, if we're Christians that, that only Jesus ultimately is going to respond with perfect obedience. We know that he quotes this part of Deuteronomy. And I want to acknowledge as Christians that the blessings that he won are the blessings that we enjoy. The blessings of, of knowing God and belonging to his church. And, and then 99% of the blessings in the, in, in the new creation that we're heading for, the equivalent for us, I guess, of, of the promised land. We belong to a rescue religion. That's true. But as we love him for that, we hear him say, anyone who loves me obeys my teaching. And the Apostle John adds these extraordinary words. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Because we found a controlling passion. We found a, a life-changing love. We found a revealed truth, a, a, a firmness, something that's good for us. And so we're not just Sunday Christians. We're not just worshipping a projection of our own preferences. We don't turn to some pick-and-mix God where we reject some parts of his character and reduce other and reject other parts but we've found a way by God's mercy to God as he really is and to the blessing that he provides shall we pray What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Are those commands that I'm giving you today not for your own good? Father God, I pray that we would take on that controlling love that finds its perfect expression in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his obedience, which is counted as ours. I pray, Father, that as we respond to him, so we'd, so we'd know what it's like to respond with our whole lives to you and your love, to respond with our whole lives in obedience, to respond with love for your son. We ask these things in his name. Amen.